system. I find you in the shows and moving a great and being enough. The scientist comes everywhere you go. Da 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 da. Nailed it. Nailed it. For those who don't know, I would say PJ is calling us the A team of design systems. I uh, not true, false, but but if we were, ever were considered the A team, I would I would. Uh, it's a great show, man. National treasure. How are you doing, PJ? I am great. How are you? I'm good. Yeah, this is. Uh, we're, we're about to hit uh, some scorching temperatures, and hopefully, we'll release this episode in a short time frame, so you know that we're recording this in. Late June. High 70s, man. Scorching. High 70s. This week, it's going to be uh, 100 inland in, in the Sacramento area. Wow. That's, uh, that's a lot. That's a high number. 103, 105, 101. So we have Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So, <sighs> man, I don't know how you do it. We, sur- we survive in this uh, uh, hot climate world we live in. Yeah. So, yeah, I just had come back from a in-person event, which is a little bit mind-blowing uh, for myself. I, I had uh, had the pleasure of attending Figma's config in in person at Moscone Center with 8,500 of my closest friends. Uh, so I just wanted to uh, do a little bit of a recap on that and then also uh, go back to our Into Design Systems uh, panel and pull up some questions from the Q&A. So t- today is going to be a, a fun uh, recap and Q&A episode it's a combo two for one maximum value bogo buy one get one free (laughs) bogo i'd never heard that before so how was how was config man i am interested to hear what your thoughts are on it and so i think from a i'll say from a content point of view most definitely not being there in person uh, is is okay. Like everything is being streamed. It was free for everybody to watch. And I, I've started going back and listening to some some of the uh, sessions uh, just over uh, on demand. But it, it was a little bit of a, a clusterfuck because the first day um, there's just uh, thousands of people, right? Thousands. Like imagine um, this is a good analogy. Like going to a Giants game, piling in, trying to get into into your seat. That's sort of how it felt leading up to the, you know, the first half of the day for, uh, the conference, like people weren't able to uh, really get into certain sessions and there wasn't other, other areas for you to watch uh, sessions that uh, had the doors closed already. So from a user experience, um, you know, viewers experience, the first day was a little bit tougher. Um, the second day they were able to open up some of these larger stages for some of like the popular talks and when I'm saying larger, it seemed like the the main stage, um, they didn't really show um, what it looked like, but it looked like a, a concert because they had uh, like all the, all the different brand elements plastered across like many different screens. There's thousands, um, thousands of seats in the, the main area. And then even the smaller rooms in Moscone had 500 seats possibly. So it was, um, I was just imagining if I, if I had gotten chosen to, to present, I, I, I would, have been a little bit, uh, 
uh, starstruck or lightstruck, a little nervous. But it was, I felt overall, it was a, a great time to, to meet up with other designers and see people that, you know, we know um, on, a, on a Twitter basis, uh, say hi to people. It was a great networking uh, opportunity, obviously, but it also showcased, I think, something that we had mentioned, PJ, about um, something that we're looking for in design systems uh, practitioners or designers in general, which was just a, a passion for, for learning. And that was something that, was the most valuable for me. There was like just this, um, electricity, uh, as a cliche as that may sound, just, um, excitement on taking, taking back insights that they were learning and different, different, uh, different methods, uh, be maybe at, uh, design variables, design tokens, or a prototyping, and then seeing how they could, um, take that back to their day-to-day workflow. Hmm, interesting. So what was the, what was the first day agenda? Uh, it, if it's not clear, I didn't, I didn't go. Um, so I'm, I'm interested, was the first day just focused on Figma's features or were there, were there talks outside of Figma? There are talks outside. So the, um, I think the, there's two, uh, to my knowledge, there's two separate, uh, conferences that, that Figma hosts, uh, Config is one that is more Figma product focused. So that's more of, I would say, uh, more akin to say maybe like a Adobe Max where there's lots of discussions about features and how to utilize the latest features, but then also general product design talks around that. So uh, that's typically Config and then there's Schema, which is all um, speakers only, less less about the product. So that. That's how I thought that um, it was. It was split up. Mm. I'm looking at the schedule here. A lot of the the big kickoff, the big keynote was the announcement of the the latest features. So two of them being the the introduction of design tokens or what they call variables inside the tool, but then also this new mode called Dev Mode, which is a, a clear dig at a design delivery and an inspection tool. So it's uh, in, in my mind, it looked very similar to what. I was used to using Zeppelin previously. Then there's other related uh, feature feature things that were very exciting, like um, auto layout updates with uh, truncation, uh, component wrapping, lots of things that uh, would simplify uh, the uh, components itself. But there was, um, excuse me, I can't pronounce the name of the designer, but uh, Haradar, the founder of Wayno that is famously known outside the community for uh, other things. Uh, but he had given the um, the keynote speech to end the day uh, called Leading Through Uncertainty, which was a very powerful talk about uh, design failure, uh, which really kind of put me in a very existential place. Uh, I'll link uh, that talk um, into the um, show notes as well. I'm a little cynical about the whole config section of it to like pay money to go to a place to hear advertisements for new features i'm sorry like i just i don't think i can get over that but i would be very interested to hear what uh what you know what was your favorite schema talk or workshop what was what was the thing that really stuck with you oh the config um so it's it's interesting because like um so no i didn't i didn't pay i had gotten i'd gotten a, a comp ticket and there were um i do believe that there were there was a time uh, about a one week span where they did open up tickets for free for people. So I think a lot of people did come in through that Avenue. And then luckily some of our companies did sponsor 
other people to go. Um, I see, I see that portion. So my carpool, carpool mate, Jamer from US Bank, shout out again. Um, we were talking about what this conference may have been like. What are some analogies? And he had mentioned it, it was more akin to say a SaaS product conference, like uh, thinking about like a Cisco or a Salesforce. And and I was thinking about it even more like a um, WW3C, WWDC, and like an Apple announcement. So given the fact there's fans of these specific products, Apple, Google, you know, Figma, that part was more about generating the excitement of a specific product launch and letting people in for free is brilliant, right? Having the the paid portion to pay for most of it and then letting people in and especially letting people in that are very vocal part of the community and love to share. Like I happen to not have shared very much about my experience. Like there was a lot of people that did, but like you said, it's free advertising. It builds the hype about the product, but then it also showcases the uh, community, the, the community and the, the love of that. And it would be interesting to see how this may or may not change if the Adobe deal goes through is, are they going to maintain the sense of community that the tool has? um, Or is it going to mold into something, say like a, like a creative cloud, you know, application? Yeah. It could be a part of max in theory. Yeah. Who knows? I understand the, like the need to generate hype. I get it. Um, It's, it's, it's interesting for sure. You know, not my cup of tea necessarily, but but definitely understand how for a lot of folks, it's a super interesting opportunity to both learn about the tool that you use and also meet up with folks that you wouldn't otherwise have a chance to see. Yeah, the, I think the thing that would probably take it um, over the top and make it more of a tool specific conference, I don't know if they'd end up doing this, is some like a conference like Adobe Max would have like workshops, like paid workshops that go and dive deeper into utilizing the thing. Um, they had deep dives into the, the different uh, product features, say like uh, variables, prototyping, uh, making plugins, but it was more of a, uh, one directional. It was a, a, a talk. It wasn't an engaged sort of thing. So I think, uh, having, um, the, having the luxury of being so big now, I think in, in the future, they'd be able to do smaller workshops, the maybe gate, each, each workshop to say a hundred people allow designers to interact with plugin developers, product owners, all, all this sort of thing. And that, I think that would be a really good, um, good takeaway that would level up, uh, the conference. Yeah, absolutely. Why don't you talk about that, that, that talk that you, that you had an existential, uh, moment about. Oh, Holly is the, how you pronounce it. So, um, I'll, I'll post about that. Uh, he uh, is uh, a famous founder of Wayno uh, from Iceland, and he's well known for opening up this uh, design firm in in Iceland and uh, working for a lot of uh, the American fan companies. And uh, he his company was acquired by Twitter, and then subsequently uh, he had gotten uh, downsized. So there's there's a long backstory of that, uh, but he was talking about. Um, just uh, his his journey, uh, how he became uh, the founder of the of this company, uh, how he also lived through his his uh, disabilities, and he has a muscular dystrophy. So early on, um, he was trying to understand 
how he could cope with this and how he could uh, continue to do every uh, everyday uh, things that uh, us uh, able-bodied um, humans can do. And it was it was a very dark conversation because it uh, sort of made you made you look at where you were in, in life. He showed, I think that there's a little bit of a tugging of heartstrings because he showed uh, quite a bit of stimuli of his children. So as a father myself, seeing any sort of stories of children, uh, he even uh, showcased one of his songs that sounded very Sigur like because he was from, he's from Iceland. And the song was about um, losing your, your, your child. And yeah, like, uh, yeah, you're nodding out. I was like, uh, and I, I listened to that and I thought like, like shit, like what the fuck am I doing at this conference? I traveled two hours, three hours to get here and back. Maybe I should be hanging out with my, my kids and my, my loved ones, you know? So it was very existential in that manner. And he even went, uh, he even went out of the way to talk about how, like the, the, the life cycle of this is that we're all going to die which is a very, very dark statement. Right. And very true. And very true. <laughs> we have to live with the decisions that we may not be able to change. And a lot of the decisions may continue to change, uh, like away from us. And what I was looking for out of that conversation. And I know that the way that he's speaking is, is, is a very dark, dark manner. Like I wish that he would have just, uh, ended the, the talk by saying, you know, I think you need, you should, uh, accept where you are, whether you are in a positive or negative space and, 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 and embrace and sit in it. But at the end of the day, we're all going to be okay. We're all going to make it out of this. Like we have all these people here that are a part of the community that you could leverage and, and reach out to. You have your friends, families, and loved ones, whether we are in a dark place, like don't be afraid to reach out. Um, and someone else will extend a hand. Um, so that's what I was looking for. I felt really dark <laughs> right after, right after the, the talk, but yeah, that was one of the, um, major, major talks and, uh, keynotes from, from the conference. I think it's so easy to get wrapped up in all this stuff. Um, but man, it's so small, it's so small and it's so inconsequential in the, in the grand scheme of things. Um, especially if, you know, if you have kids or, you know, family that you're taking care of, it just is, it's, it's hard for me to express how critical it is to keep one foot out the door. And that is hilarious coming from me, but it's something that I am, uh, really trying to do from a, just a reevaluation standpoint that, this is just so incredibly small and ephemeral. That's one of the hilarious things about software is it's you work on something and then it's gone and there's nothing left. You know, our, our, our grandparents, you know, they worked, you know, if they worked on like a car assembly line, you can look at that car and say, well, I made that and it's going to be there as long as it doesn't fall apart. Uh, whereas with software, it is, it's going to go. It's not, it's not a matter of if it's a matter of when, you know, I think in some ways I have to do a better job of, of like embracing that ephemeral nature and, and, and not holding on as tight to the work and to the, to the daily grind. Cause it isn't, it really doesn't matter at the end of the day. Yeah. The takeaway for me was trying to be able to 
I can't even pronounce the word. Compartmentalize. Yes, that's uh, what uh, PJ, the the scholar, had, had said. So uh, being able to separate the the work life from the, the home life and making sure it doesn't, as, as much as we can, we don't let it bleed. Uh, and like I noticed this a lot uh, through like when I when I see you, PJ, when you engage, when when kids come through uh, onto onto the recording, uh, onto the, the studio and uh, taking a pause, uh, taking a pause, taking a breath and being mindful uh, that you may need to switch to your other full time job. And let's let's pivot really quick and then let's take a let's take a breath and then come back and uh, being able to separate those two. Yeah, the only thing that I will, I'll, I'll have like so I have. I have this BAM Tech hat from when we worked together of a company that no one will probably know what BAM Tech is. I have um, a Disney Plus shirt that says launch team with the year on it. So maybe, you know, 10 years, 15 years from now, my son will discover that shirt and a pile of rags or something and say, oh, I remember Disney Plus. We used to watch Mandalorian on there. Did you did you I did you work on that? Yeah. And, and it's funny is, is, uh, the follow-up question is what part did you work on? And the answer is, well, none of that exists anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and that's the, that's the interesting thing about, uh, about the work. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's just, it's part of the game and, and it's, uh, if you want to work on something last, go make statues or, or something else, but this is just part of what makes software software. Yeah, and even like uh, it brought me back to some of like the first. Um, I haven't been to that many engineering specific conferences or, or meetups, but it reminds me of when I, I did start dabbling in the front of the front end, and I would go to uh, like uh, I went to one of the first jQuery conferences. So that maybe does that age me a little bit? Mentioning jQuery, oh, I didn't even know there were jQuery conferences. That's that's interesting. There you go. Yeah, there's lunch and everything, so it was like a whole official thing. Yeah, thinking back on that point in time, I felt like that was uh, there's not many takeaways from from that other other than that it was like a learning opportunity. Um, but yeah, the memories have sort of faded faded away a bit. Uh, the whole conference thing is a is a is a unique world into itself, uh, in and of itself. Um, I you know it seems like that could be a topic to discuss in an entire podcast episode. But yeah, conferences are just like. They're just an entire thing of their own. Yeah, I'll say the um, we've gotten good feedback on our recent uh, conference, like our conference podcast, and some of my recent talks because uh, what I, I strive and I, I try to make uh, my my talks as practical as possible. So, like, I try to make it so you could take away one to two things and try it. Uh, in fact, I think that might even be a, a better way to posture some of the conversations where uh i could explicitly say take these two points try it out and uh, there's uh, there's a lot of these uh talks it wasn't as as much of a thing just to bring it back to config um config was fairly practical i felt like there was a lot of conversations that led to obviously practical applications in the tool but then practical applications um of working with people um which led me to think I would love to go to a design ops specific conference because I would love to work uh, and hear about how people engage in design ops and design systems. But I feel like a lot of the talks 
in other conferences are to 10,000 foot view. And some feedback that I've gotten on our talks and even this podcast is like, we're, we're, we're in it. We're in the 100 foot. Sometimes I drag PJ into like the 10 foot or in the mud, one inch or, or like on the ground level. And, um, folks like to hear how it is here and they like to understand that we're all dealing with similar, similar things. So let's, you know, share the ideas and figure it out together and in a practical form. Yeah. The thing that I, and I've shared this with Davey, so this is not going to come as a surprise, but I think the the problem that I have with conferences is that a lot of the talks that I, uh, the vibe that I get a lot of the talks is that, uh, I'm here to talk at you about a topic that I think is really important and I want to get out <laughs> like, and oftentimes the the audience is just a, is, is just the second, you know, it's just a second thought. And, and that seems, that just seems backwards to me. Um, and I, I have a hard time with that format and I, I much prefer to have a dialogue with a person and to understand what are they interested in? What do they want to understand? And just talk to them individually about the thing. But at, you know, at some point it just, it seems like those conference talks are about the speaker and not about the audience. And that seems just antithetical to how I, I would want it to be. I think, I think the best part of talks and I, I, and, and these sorts of larger conferences doesn't exist as a Q&A portion. And we had a, a great pleasure of doing this for the Interdesign Systems talk, but having just half of it being open Q&A and more, it would be more of a, a, a switch to a panel discussion at, at that point. Or like I say, I hate the term fireside chat because that, that sort of, well, yeah, shake, shaking her head. Yeah. Even that, even that it can oftentimes be extremely canned. Uh, and that's, yeah. But yeah, if you can answer questions directly from people and take the time to answer it, you know, actually answer it, uh, understand what they're trying to ask and answer it. Um, that's, that seems much more, uh, something that I, I, I'm interested in. Yeah. So that's a, that's a great segue to look at. So we had, a, a shit ton of questions from that into design systems talk and, Thank you, everyone, for participating and engaging in that. I'll just start reading off uh, some, and then we could take turns answering them. If that's cool with you, it's perfect. Yeah. So here's here's a good here's a good good one from a uh, for you, PJ, from a design manager point of view. So, how do you go about increasing the scope and ownership of your work as a design system IC? Yeah. So, designer, engineer, uh, design engineer, etc. Increasing. Increasing scope and ownership as a design system. I see. Um, all right. So I'm going to make some assumptions um, and I'll do my best to answer this, but I'm going to assume that the, that the person asking the question is, is getting the vibe that they're not able to engage directly with teams. Uh, and, and they're, they're kind of from the outside looking in with a lot of work. And, and so I'm going to answer it based off of that. We had, uh, we've had similar challenges at, at other places, uh, and Pinterest being one of them, the way we solved it, I can't guarantee that it's, um, it's going to work every single time, but it's, it's having the primary focus be to, to have a, a real strong 
view of the of the horizon of you know all the teams and and have a pulse on where they're at in terms of the work that they need and volunteering to assist if and when there's opportunities to play a larger role you know typically a lot of teams they're um, you know they may be having timeline issues they may uh, be having challenges with scope and don't have enough people to support it and if you can go in and proactively volunteer to support those larger efforts uh, I mean to play a larger role in that effort um, that's that's how we got our foot in the door as we as we saw opportunities and we volunteered ourselves to do that work the challenge with that is it's very easy to get overburdened uh, and a lot of context switching this is not necessarily the easiest thing to do but typically I mean kind of going back to like the the talk about talking uh, is understanding what people need as opposed to leading what you think they need, like actually understanding what these teams need and saying, Hey, we can support you here. This is something where we can play a larger role to take some of the weight off and to, and to release that burden. Um, that, you know, a, I think it gives you that opportunity to, to take more scope on, uh, B it also starts to form a relationship that you're not here. You're not running a design systems team or, or playing a role within the design system, uh, context to to push your agenda towards them uh it really helps drive uh the narrative and hopefully it's genuine that you're there to support them and and that ultimately it's a role of service so that's how i would do it if i understood your question correctly if not i apologize but that's that's how i would go about it yeah it becomes um a good problem as, as, as I would say on the wire, like uh, having more people that are interested in utilizing the system. So that it, there's a big uh, hurdle to get to that, that point, getting folks excited. Uh, but if you're like, like PJ said, I think a big mechanism at, at meta to get adoption is to be the boots on the ground and reach out to other teams that need, need the help. So there's, especially now uh, given all teams, all design teams and, any function uh, with uh, resources being constrained, how can you help a team that may have uh, had some attrition? Like, how can you help them stand up something uh, utilizing the system now and uh, uh, keep keep their momentum going? And if you're able to reach out to teams that you may not have worked with before, and you could get new advocates from those teams, whether they're product designers or engineers, uh, that definitely uh, could help in, uh, increase the the scope and your your view of the impact from design systems at your company. I have a good one I'd like to answer, but we could take two approaches to this. So Answer it. Go for it, man. How important is it to have a uh, program or product manager for your design system team? Answer. Boom. So I, I was recently asked, uh, what would be my first hires if I were to start a team again? And there's two, two specific, uh, roles that I, I would target. So one is a either a design technologist or an engineer, uh, either like a, like a front end engineer that uh, could partner with me to help get us off the ground or a program manager. And I, I'm, I'm going on the lens of program manager strictly for helping us manage uh, all of our work that is on the thousand foot altitude and then also help us uh, drive uh, decision making up to like the 10,000 foot view as well. So there's a, I think when, when we're first uh, getting our team started and uh, really in the need to communicate both upwards and horizontally, the program manager uh, would able, would be able to help us uh, 
tie up all the loose ends, intercept requests, and help us uh, be the uh, all-seeing eye of design within organizations. So having the program manager uh, would help us not only triage the work, but help us communicate effectively, horizontally, and and upwards, uh, but then also help drive adoption uh, as well. I think that was uh, a great help for us. I think if you are, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to somewhat, it's going to sound like I'm contradicting myself, but I swear, I don't think I'm, I am. If you want to play a role where you are fielding requests and, you know, just, just being available like a help desk to support the needs of, of design and engineering as those needs come, then I, I agree. A program manager is absolutely, uh, the, the way to go. So someone that can coordinate all the needs, understand it, see how they overlap and then, and then help create visibility and, and determine what to work on. If you have a vision for where you want the system to go, uh, and, and like that ideal state, um, that may or may not always entirely align with what design and engineering are asking for right now, then I would argue you want a product manager. Uh, someone that's defining what the system is, where it's heading, what success looks like, uh, what are the long-term goals. Um, I mean, ideally, you'd have both, but but I think it really is a matter of what do you see? What do you see the system being? And there's no judgment. There isn't a good one or a bad one. But if it's if it's about under, you know just understanding what design and engineering need and then fulfilling those needs, awesome. If, however, if you have an idea of this is what our point of view on systems are, and this is where we want to be, uh, to, you know, to take us to the next level, then I think, I actually think a product manager would be a better fit. I mean, the right product manager, <laughs> it's, it, it's easy to go wrong there, but, but if you have a good product manager with a clear direction that's in line with the company, that's, that's what I would go for. Just to riff on that that question, uh, I'm the only designer working on the design system. We have a design technologist joining next month. Exciting. How do you see the most effective uh, division of labor between the two roles? I'll defer to you since you have design technology on your team. I, You know, given that it's just two people, I think, uh, <laughs> it, you know, as much as you two are working closely together and, and you know, as, as little of division of roles as possible, I would I would definitely make the case for that because, uh, I, I don't know how, you know, how proficient this person is in development, um, if they can write CSS. But the challenge here is that with one engineer, there's a high likelihood that there's going to be a much larger backlog than what this person can take on. Um, and so anything you can do to shoulder that burden as the designer to help take off some of the smaller tasks. Um, that's, that's what I would be, uh, that's what I would be trying to do. If, if that's even, you know, like writing documentation, uh, that, that makes it into the, oh, I'm assuming you have a documentation site, but let me take a step back here and just say that, you know, not only is the engineer building the components, but they're also responsible for maintaining them. So they have this long burn of maintenance that they, that they have. And theoretically it's the same with the Figma library, but there's typically a a much smaller level of effort to maintain a Figma library versus components that are in production. And so it may be not necessarily the, the most, you know, awesome thing to hear, but I would say 
reducing the amount of division of labor. So you're supporting that engineer as much as possible to enable them to succeed because ultimately their success is, is your success. I'm going to pivot to talk about roles. Uh, we have a few more here. So uh, looking for design systems and uh, job openings has been hard to come by, especially on smaller or like early stage teams. Uh, do you recommend going for product design generalist roles and transitioning into design systems work internally for those that are interested in staying in the space? Davey, why don't you answer that since I answered the last one? And so this one was from uh, a friend of a friend of mine, Tiffany's, and I think that that's a suitable approach. I, I think especially if you're going into a, a smaller team and there seems to be interest in working in this certain fashion, I think that uh, that would buy you the opportunity to go into a, a earlier uh, stage design team and develop the practice. I'll say that it's um, it's very difficult to do that. Uh, I think the design system team of one thing still scares me and I, I'm not sure whether I would want to uh, be in that boat again, because it's uh, it could go one of two ways. It could go in a, a positive fashion where you do get resourcing and uh, you, you can flourish. The, the, alt- the alternative of that is that you might be working in a team of one uh, indefinitely for maybe uh, one to two years, which would uh, at that point be, uh, very difficult to shoulder that burden. Uh, there might be uh, obstacles for growth because you might just be underwater and deliverables and maintaining libraries all, all by yourself. Uh, you may not have engineering involved based uh, based on being the design system team of one. You may not even have um, design uh, resourcing. So uh, they, I think there are greater benefits to joining uh, possibly medium sized teams with design systems in place and in an effort to then uh, move on to the design system team officially uh, somewhere in the future. I think that's more of a uh, suitable task. I would, I would recommend that as well. It is hard to get into design systems now, which is another subject uh, altogether. But you know, the irony is that many design system teams are dying for help. And so if you can act as a contributor and a collaborator, that's going to give you a good opportunity to for an internal transfer when the, when the opportunity arises. And yeah, the design systems team of one, one thing I would do personally is ask how long, yeah, why haven't they had a design systems team? Um, and if it's been a design systems team of one for some time, why is that the case? And it's the typical like objects in motion, stay in motion, objects at rest, stay at rest. There's a good chance that if it's been a design systems team of one for a long time, there's a good reason why. And there's a good chance it's not going to change unless there's a significant mindset change uh, at the at the at the decision making level. So I would I would highly recommend joining a team and trying to transfer in. There we go. That was the last one. We did it. We did it. Two for one. BOGO. Hopefully you made it through. Two for one. Uh, let's keep the retention rates up. You know, we got some design system officer OKRs that uh, I'm trying to hit here, PJ. Oh, my God. <laughs> I don't even know what to say about that. <laughs> um, hopefully we've earned your interest is what I'll say. Yeah. And uh, uh, as, as one of the A-team, thank you so much, PJ. Thank you very much.